0: Hola, amigos and amigas. I don't know if that's correct. My name is Sean Tierney. Welcome to Further Record. This is episode thirty-one. How is how is everyone out there in the podcast world? And how are you, my co-host, Mister Zach Puggy.
1: I don't think that's very PC anymore, man. Oh no! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did I get us cancelled again?
1: I think so, bro. Damn, oh, no. I'm not too bad to, to answer your first question. Thank Good. you very much. Good. You sound by the powers of deduction, Um, from your croaky voice to your (laughs) shiny new Biffy Clyro T-shirt, and the fact Biffy Clyro played in Dublin last night, if my math served me correctly. It is. I'm going to join
0: some true detective dots and say you were at Biffy Clyro. I sure was. I sure was. And you know what? I have a lot to say. Um, So if I do, if I do sound croaky on the podcast, dear listener, I apologize. But it's because I was screaming my face off for about three hours last night Um, because the support band for Biffy Clyro's arena tour was Architects, who were the subject of our last episode. And as you may remember, dear listener, uh, we weren't particularly complimentary about the new album. and before i went up to dublin to see biffy Claro, my 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 good girlfriend um i looked at setlist.fm as i'm as i want to do and i made myself a little playlist of the architects setlist and also a separate one of the biffy claro set setlist which is what i like to do um very very disappointed with the architects setlist there was the oldest song they played was doomsday They had four songs off of the new album and five songs off of For Those Who Wish to Exist. I am not surprised
1: in the slightest. Those, like, yeah,
0: I knew it. Do you know what you will be surprised to hear, though? They were fucking outstanding.
1: Oh, I I don't, I am not even remotely shocked because, I mean, number one, I've seen architects before with you. And number two, I even said in last week's episode that. I like you know, I, I, I was annoyed by Sam Carter's vocal performance on this new album because I think it's his weakest performance yet, mm-hmm. and it annoyed me because yeah. I know how good of a fucking live vocalist Sam Carter is and how consistent he is after all these years. And that's another thing. I actually nearly I I'm not sure if I said this in the podcast last week, but I was talking about it with a mate at work just yesterday. And remember you said about the fact that they self-produce the last mm. couple of albums and they have no producer letting mm. them just be musicians. And uh, made, made a made it work yesterday said to me, he said, I don't even find the album that bad. He said, I find it more inoffensively meh. Mm. He said, but it's the production that fucks me off the most. He says, because the architects have had some amazing production and he says, and everything on that album sounds so stifled. So I really was, I had a notion that live the songs off the new album would sound miles better than they do on that fucking record like
0: man like they opened with a one two of um deep fake and tear gas um neither of which i'm that big of a fan of on record but fuck my old boots did they sound good live like
1: i'm sure the breakdown in deep fake (sighs) goes live i'm sure
0: And they were they were actually excellent. Genuinely, they were excellent. I I was not not that I was surprised, but I was surprised at how much I enjoyed them because like, like I said, the oldest song they played was Doomsday. I liked the last record for those who wish to exist, but I wasn't mad about it. Um, But as a kind of a a finishing three, Doomsday, uh, when we were young and animals were just absolute showstoppers. They were outrageously brilliant, man. And but it's the same. It'll be sorry, go on. I, I just I know you said that you 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 know you weren't surprised about Sam Carter and because he's so consistent live and everything. That man <laughs> That man is one of the best live vocalists in the game. I mean he is ludicrously gifted. Like I mean, all of his he adds in, remember I was saying for one of the songs, um one that opens it goes now we're all cannibals and I was just saying why doesn't he just scream it well do you know some of the places where he sings on record he screams them live and it just goes man and he has got a great scream he's got a great singing voice his low vocals are great when he's doing the like into riffs and all ah excellent I thought Josh Middleton was (laughs) <laughs> Unbelievable. And um Dan was excellent. And as always, I gotta give a big shout out to the Tree Arena because the sound in that fucking building is always, always, always on point. So good, so good. But man, architects uh, were on point Oh fuck, yeah. Uh I'm for those that. for those listeners who don't, that was actually an unintentional pun. Uh for those listeners who are not of Irish descent. Um, the three arena is in a place called the point. Um
1: the venue used to be called the Point
0: Depot. It, you, they, it sure was. It a good
1: venue. Yeah. The, and, that was the, thing. the Point Depot used to have great gigs, but it had like the worst sound. Worst sound.
0: <laughs> that's right, yeah. But now, man, the three arena, just the sound is absolutely killer. So shout out to Architects. They, they kind of proved me, me both wrong and right. Because I think we did say that these songs will probably sound good, Life. But um, yeah, I'm like, not thinking the thing, they were great songs. But fuck me, excellent. With,
1: it's the same thing with Bring Me the Horizon. You know, like, I really can't stress enough how not my shit the last, Mm. like, three Bring Me the Horizon Mm. releases have been. Same. Yes, I know for a fact that, like, those songs are designed to be massive, like,
0: massive. And I think as well, you know, when you're, like, (laughs) the excitable, giddy little children that both me and you are when we're at concerts, like, you do have that kind of wave of positivity anyway. So it was like, oh, this is fucking sick. I'm in a big arena. I'm watching a band who I would have up to a couple albums ago called one of my favorite bands ever. And they were just awesome. And what was even more awesome was that I I then got to watch legit one of my favorite bands, like of all time. Just be unbelievably magnificent. Biffy sure. Cairo. I've I've said this for a long time. The first time I saw Biffy Clyro was, uh, I would say it was 12 years ago, 2010 maybe. Um, And I said it then, they're the best live, like big band I've ever seen. And I still think they're the best mainstream band that I've ever seen live because in the interim period, I've seen Tool and Tool are a very big band. So, you know, Tool are Tool. We did we dedicated a whole episode to Tool live, but um, Biffy Clyro live is just man. They're so great. They're so brilliant. And unlike Architects, they played a song off their very first album. They played a song from every album except from the Vertical Bliss. So like they do a career spanning set list. Awesome. They're just they're so brilliant. I can't say enough good things about Biffy Clyro.
1: Both times I've seen them, it's funny you say that because obviously. You're on a. I mean, this is their 10th album tour they're doing. Yeah. And I saw them tour in the fifth and the sixth albums, mm. Only Revolutions and Opposites. Yeah. But both times I saw them, it's like the same formula. They do literally a career spanning set. Yeah. Except they always go from the first album to the latest. Except more, more often than not, Vertigo of Bliss gets left by the wayside.
0: Do you know what happened though? It was one of the best moments of my gig going lifetime. Uh, so myself and my girlfriend went to Independence on the Sunday of was 2019? I think because just because Biffy Clara were a you know, independence is not really my bag as a festival, but it had it had Biffy Clara, it had Fan Club and it had a Curb Dog. And I was like, Yeah, boy, let's go. But um they played questions and answers. And I was like, no way. And then they played A Day off as well, which is the first Biffy Claro song I ever heard. And I just lost my shit altogether. I just, I I, I was in the throes of wonder. But um, Biffy Claro last night at the Three Arena were, I mean, it, it's almost becoming boring how exceptional they are live. They're just so good live. And my favorite thing about them is that you can tell that they are not listening to click track because at the end of something like the captain when they're doing the big outro, like <laughs> poor Ben Johnson is fucking struggling to keep up with Simon, who's just gotten overexcited and playing the outro riff at a hundred thousand miles an hour. It's just it's fantastic, and they added, um, they've had uh, the touring guitarist Mike Venart for a long time. Yeah, for years and, um, they've had him for years. Only revolutions for years and he really adds a lot to their show and they had an onstage um, keyboard player as well and it really added. But they added two women playing violin as well last night and it just made stuff like, you know, rearrange and space. The the balladie songs sounded amazing, you know, and they, when they added the strings live to living is a problem. It was just, it was phenomenal. They're just men. Like they played a 23 or four or five song set list and there wasn't a second of it that I would have swapped out. And they're a band I never come away dissatisfied with. Uh, They always, always bring the goods life. They're just exceptional.
1: I was just going to say, as soon as you said there was two violinists, Mm. my brain immediately went to living as a problem because everything dies and that golden rule. And all I thought was fuck's sake because i literally every every time i've seen them live and they've played those tunes i have had that thought of like why isn't there live strings in these tracks yeah. because it would just go off uh, that's unreal that they've got they've gone that far now
0: and you know it was quite simple production you know i've seen them do the whole like glitter bomb and fucking the confetti and pyro and everything but like it was just a nice cool like light show and there was a stage set up of just like screens and there was Live images plus video images projected onto it, and it was really simple but really effective. And to be honest, when you've got like some of the best written like rock songs of the last twenty years, yeah, you don't need much, you know. And I, I just think they prove every time I see them that they are. I think to me they're most they're the most consistent mainstream rock band in the world ever.
1: You know, I. You're, you're. I'm actually jealous because I really, really wanted to go. I want to go. Mm. Uh, the London date is this weekend, but I'm going to Amsterdam. Yeah, you're
0: away. Um, I'm I, away this weekend. So I just. Um, I'd urge everyone to go see them anytime. Like there, one, there was this, you know, those Twitter games: your first concert, your last concert, your worst concert, all this stuff. And it was like, who would you go see every every time? And Biffy Clare are always one of my answers. I think I've seen him seven times now, and I just, I never get bored of them because, number one, like I have a massive crush on Simon Neil. I always have, and I always will. <laughs> and he doesn't. He he's doesn't. he's the best, and um, they they just have they have a back catalogue now of it's near perfection, and I just
1: I totally disagree. But continue. You disagree. Oh yeah, I had a very like I I I I I I have been out of love with Biffy for a good few years, man.
0: Yeah. Oh we actually talked about this I think before. But yeah. I, I, I think that's probably a longer detour for another time, yes.
1: Yeah. I but I I, I lost interest after the sixth album. I thought the seventh I thought the seventh uh, album was shy and ellipsis. I Ellipsis was shite.
0: Ellipsis is my least favorite, definitely. But it's still got Wolves of Winter on it. And
1: the reason I don't, the reason I hate Ellipsis the most is because they put out Wolves of Winter as the lead single and that's one of their best fucking songs.
0: Man, Wolves of Winter live. Yeah, wow. Oh my God. Like, it's so great. But that is is their worst album, without a doubt.
1: When I heard Wolves of Winter, I thought that was a precedent for the whole record. (laughs) Nope. And and it's the opening (laughs) track. And then the rest of it just goes and then I really didn't like um, A Celebration of Endings.
0: Don't you? That was, I I think that's a fantastic record.
1: There's a handful of good tunes on it, but um, what you call it, Instant History nearly made me just throw away my Biffy records. The
0: only thing... It's the worst song. It isn't. Do you know what shit about Instant History? The The, This is the sound that we make. It's so crazy. but the rest of that track is really really good like it it. but I hate that bit I hate it and they played it last night and it sounds massive you know the this is the sound that we make oh, and the I whole just it was, like it was awesome it's awesome live
1: the thing is when I when I got there I was like after Ellipsis and then this is the sound that we make mm. I just thought you know what I'm at that stage like I talked about with Architects last week if you're doing something that's not really for me, it's a bit more yeah.
0: accessible rock. And then rock, the myth rock. of the happily ever after happened.
1: And I fucking fell all the way back in love, yeah. man. Yeah. The myth of the happily ever after is one of their best fucking records, man. man it's They're just... I actually I, think... I want to ask before we move on. Yeah. And before, how did the tune, the new, new, new
0: tunes from the myth of the so, happily ever after sound? They like played Unknown
1: Male One. Tell me they played Unknown Male they One. They played
0: Unknown Male One. And it was.
1: Those riffs. Those uh, fucking riffs.
0: Unknown Male One was possibly the weakest part of the set. And it was still awesome. Like, what? Yeah, man. Genuinely. It didn't. It definitely hasn't hit with people in the way I thought it would. And, you know. Is it one too
1: of, early probably Biffy for people?
0: Maybe. I don't know. It, like one of the great things about seeing Biffy Clara alive is the fan interaction because their friends absolutely fucking love them and they go with them whatever they do and it was just the one of the it was the only song that kind of that didn't really like blow the place up, you know. Um, They played Cop Syrup so as well Um, and Cop Syrup was outrageous but the standout track from hunger in your haunt. a hunger in your heart oh my I god imagine. they played so they started with dum-dum and they go into hunger in your haunt then and it was just when they got to that chorus the whole place like the roof nearly came off the arena. i know people say that about gigs but you know when you just everyone is screaming so loud it feels like the air is shaking like you know it was
1: yeah,
0: yeah. it was loud as balls it was great really really great so the new stuff sounded amazing amazing but um I, unknown male was definitely kind of just a little bit of a dip in the set list which i thought was quite strange as well because i think unknown male is a fucking great song a i had great the song.
1: songs they've written in years that whole album is All of the myth of the happily ever after, I think it was in my it was in my top 20 of last year, and it literally it restored everything that I missed about Biffy from Mm. Ellipsis and a celebration of endings. Mm. Because they did that soundtrack, Balance Not Symmetry. Mm. And that's interesting, but it's all kind of different styles. But I remember that title track, Balance Not Symmetry, was like such an outlier that totally brought me back to early Biffy. So when I heard a hunger in your haunt, and Mm. then I heard Unknown Male One. I fucking knew my bays were back. So I really was, I really wanted to go see them on this tour because it's been
0: years for me. Do you know why I think as well it doesn't hit, it didn't hit last night was because it comes, it came directly in the aftermath of Mountains and then Machines, which are like...
1: Two of their biggest fucking tunes.
0: And they're two of their best songs as well. I mean, hearing like, you know like those songs live is euphoric you know and after unknown male they went into the song that i have tattooed on my shoulder 57 so <laughs> um yeah good time good time
1: 57 live as well. 50. yeah i've had 57 and i've had just boy and both times i have wept like a yeah.
0: fucking infant with a skin knee i've seen just boy 27 and christopher's river as well so
1: yeah. oh you saw Christopher River you pricked that's I like did. the saddest song I know. ever I love it's it. fucking amazing
0: but what I was going to say was before we went off on our little tangent was we should do a for the record essentials on a Biffy Clara record that would be fun
1: it'll be tricky to decide which one though
0: it but it wasn't that tricky to decide the album that we were going to cover for this week's podcast because this Segway. week <laughs> we're going to cover one of the biggest bands in the world Um, we're going to talk about the 1975 and their new record, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. Um, this is their fifth full length and their output to date has garnered them a fairly obsessive fan base and a really, really healthy 15 million monthly listeners on Spotify. So we're talking about a legit big band here. And I'm going to hold my hands right up at the start and say I know very, very little about them. Only that my initial impressions of Matty Healy, their singer, was that he was a complete wanker. Um, (laughs) uh, I remember when they first came on the scene, I really liked Chocolate. I thought that was a great song. And some of the early songs I thought were really good. And I remember there was a lot of hardcore bands really ripped hard for them, which I always thought was interesting. Um, They still do, actually. A lot of bands are a lot of people in bands that I like really love the 1975 they seem to be a band that bands really really love um and I'll just be honest I I checked out a little bit of their stuff and I don't think I gave it the kind of requisite time it needed to kind of see where the the craft was or the the fun or the whatever that people were seeing I just didn't give it the time but then my beloved Phoebe Bridgers posted that she was in the video for I'm in love with you after of this album and I was like, okay, I'll give this a go. So that's kind of my little short potted history of my relationship with the 1975. How about yourself?
1: Mine's quite strange. I, I was working in a radio station in Dublin in 2013 and Phantom and mm-hmm. that was the same year that the 1975 put out their self-titled debut. Mm-hmm. So I remember, was it, cho- yeah, you said Chocolate. Chocolate was the big fucking single.
0: Massive, yeah. But
1: Chocolate was off of an, e- an earlier, yeah, and Chocolate was off of an earlier EP. That's right. So, yeah, so essentially, like, Chocolate had become this massive song, but the album wasn't even out yet. Because they they re-recorded "Chocolate" and "Sex," which were two of the big singles from the self-titled, mm. uh, from which were originally on their EPs. So I really liked those songs, and I knew the the full length was on the way because, like, we were fucking hammering at home in the radio station because it was going to be a big album. We knew it. So I ended up going back and checking out their EPs. So it's funny because I I I hadn't thought about this until started like listening to the new album you know you 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 know that thing of like because i've been to a lot of gigs man Mm. you know when you like the way we were talking about architects the way we saw them in cypress avenue Mm -hmm. and that's a tiny venue in cork in ireland and Uh, now even
0: smaller than it is now yeah and it's, it's been done up like you know what i mean and like you know I, I, we saw architects there with however many people and I've seen them headline Wembley Arena. It's quite, it's bizarre, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah and like yeah. Northern Atlantis supported them mm. and they had their farewell show in Brixton Academy. In Brixton, yeah. Yeah, so the 1975, I was really all in. I checked out their four EPs and I read, and those four EPs are great. Those first, and they recorded all those, they self-produced all those EPs because... Mm-hmm their drummer, him and Matty Healy are like the primary songwriters and the drummer produces everything. So he does all the programming. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, he's the mastermind behind Matt. Like no, no, no discredit to the guitar player and bass player, but like all the credits on every album, it's all songs written by the two boys, all songs produced by the drummer. So, I mean, that it's they, it's, it's them kind of it really. So there are four EPs were i think they did their first three like they did all four eps like i said self-produced like bedroom production but they're i think it was after the third ep they went and recorded the debut full length in a proper studio because they'd been signed and but then they were fucked off back home and recorded their fourth ep and put that out in the meantime so the lads were quite prolific and obviously itching to get tunes out there so long story short working for the radio station we got to we were covering electric picnic so we all got to go for free and i went to see the 1970 i've seen the 1975 four times Have you? All, all in the span all in the span of a year because <laughs> i was working in the radio station and i kept just getting free chances to see them so okay, i saw them cool. four times on the on the self-titled album cycle so i literally i saw them at electric picnic in at like fucking half 11 at night for about three, four hundred people who half of them kind of heard of chocolate. And then I saw them two weeks later in the academy. Mm-hmm. And they, and it's funny to think, like, I saw them in the academy and like this week they played Madison Square Garden.
0: In I know. New York. Like the next so, time they roll into London, they're playing the O2. <laughs> yeah.
1: And like, I saw them in the fucking academy. But even then, when I saw them that time, it was so packed. And you could tell mm. by the energy. They were about to be massive. Mm. And then I saw them in the Olympia and Electric Picnic again. Uh, during the day, much bigger tent, much bigger crowd. So so I really, really liked the self-titled album. Like I really dug those four EPs, really dug the self-titled. Saw them four times in a, in a quick rush. And then they became the biggest band in the world over a couple of years and started teasing their second album, Uh, which has one of the worst titles of an album I've ever heard. I like it when you sleep so beautiful, yet so unaware of it. It's the one of the most pretentious titles I've ever fucking heard. Makes the classic
0: symptoms of a broken spirit sound like Master of Puppets. Like
1: exactly like tragic, but I literally and I I had I had accepted at this point that because, you know, I went through my teens being ridiculed for bands I liked on both sides, you know, (laughs) you're a got boy. You like Metallica. You like fucking Marilyn Manson. And then like my mates would be like, "Buggy, oh, you can't like Slipknot and Blink 182 And I was like, "Just can I just like my tunes? I, can just I let me like my version? music?" Yeah, leave me alone. Like, yeah. and, like you know. So like, at this point, I couldn't give shit what anyone. Th- I think that's why I like such obnoxious shit like One Hundred Gecs and Playboy Carty, because yeah. I can. Al- I I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about it. Like I like it. Fair. So I, and then I noticed that you know, there's a lot of. Snobbery on the nineteen seventy five, and I admit, Matty Healy is a very obnoxious personality. Oh, and it can,
0: absolutely, and it I can, stand by what I thought, what it, my oh, initial sorry. impression of him—that he was a wanker. I yeah. still think he's a wanker, like, but he's a great follower on Twitter because he's annoying wanker. Yeah, and that's the thing—he's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's a fucking annoying prat.
1: He is. Yeah. I was also, and I was also aware they were garnering a legion of young fucking young children followers. And, mm. but I try not to fucking let that dilute my interpretation or enjoyment of something. And sometimes I do. I, I'm like, am I too old for this? Am I like, should I really be listening to this? Should I be enjoying it this much? And then I see someone like Mike Kinsella from American football talking about how much he fucking loves the 1975. Mm. And he's in his forties. And I'm like, yeah, why do I give a shit what anyone thinks mm-hmm. about like music's objective, man? But anyway, that second album... The lead single, Love Me, had me so excited because that tune sounds like it sounds like the sound they'd established on the four EPs and self titled, but like channeling prints or some fucking obnoxious type of like funk rock. And I really thought that was going to be indicative of the whole album, but it wasn't. The rest of the album is very much, it's their, it's my least favorite 1975 album to date, that second mm-hmm. record. It's them reaching for the fucking the radio and and succeeding and then and that and that album is what like curveballed them into the fucking stratosphere so but i had completely washed my hands of them uh, like by that point i thought you know i had the EPs in the first album and like a lot of bands you kind of you can see you by the time the second album comes around you're like this won't be for me anymore mm-hmm. but then the third record because they, anou- they actually announced the titles of the third and fourth records back to back. They were originally meant to be like released within less than a year of each other, like a sister album thing. So there was a brief inquiry into online relationships and notes on a conditional form. Mm-hmm. And they ended up just because of like, I think label probably said it as well, just separate them. Like So they ended up putting them out two years apart. So when a brief inquiry into online relationships came out, they, the lead single was Give Yourself a Try. And yep. I remember all of my friends fucking hating it, and I had to admit I really, really dug it. I dug the
0: lyrics. I dug that never worked with me that song. For no? I, don't, I don't know, I don't know why. I just I never got on board with it.
1: and, and that's fair enough. You know, mm. I mean, like I, I'm never going to argue with someone over it. like they're not mm. like. Oh, no, I will, but but not but yeah. with something like that. I know. I'm like I get it. It's not for everyone. So by the time that record came out, I was cautiously optimistic, and I have to say. The, the funny thing about A Brief, a brief Inquiry into online relationships is that half of that album is forgettable indie fluff to me and I'm not really bothered by it at all but the half I love was literally like like the half I love was like one of my favourite EPs of
0: 2018 <laughs> okay fair Yeah, you okay. know what I mean I, do, I, I, yeah, couldn't, yeah.
1: I couldn't put the album in my top 50 because it it, it it wasn't one of my top fifty favorite albums, but half of the tunes on there were toe to toe with some of my favorite music of that year. Uh, Ooh, yeah, give yourself a try. Um, it's not living if it's not with you.
0: And, that, like, and is, thing, that is a good song.
1: And the thing is, what I like about the nineteen seventy five, and I like about Matty Healy's writing, is that he's very clever at hiding. We're talking about Manic Street Preachers. A few episodes on the Halloween episode, Matty Healy's very good at hiding. Really dark lyrics and dark experiences in these lovely bubblegum pop songs. Because mm. I mean, it's not living if it's not with you. Sounds like a lovely pop ode, but it's actually a song about his heroin addiction. Mm. It's not living if it's not with you, and and it and that that paints it in a whole darker light. Even though it's this beautiful pop song, um, I'd love it if we made it. That's an absolute stomper of a track. And there's another gorgeous song on that record. Um. oh yeah the I like America and America likes me mm-hmm. I think that's a great tune the, the, the tunes I like on that album stellar half of it I was like whatever take it or leave it so there's even what's that track uh, Petrichor learn to uh, learn to draw or some shit like that and that tracks like six minutes and it's like glitchy fucking it, it's like I don't know glitch pop I suppose you call it but that, that track is unbelievable and that, that, that's like, that was one of the most intriguing things I'd ever heard from them. So I really liked half of that record. And I really hoped the half that I liked was a I, sign of the album.
0: I really, really love um, Be My Mistake, actually. That's a lovely song. Uh, I, I love that really song. It's song. really, really nice. Yeah. yeah
1: um, so I really, but the whole expansive genre hopping of the record and the fact that I really loved about half of it had me really hopeful. For Notes on a Conditional Form. Mm-hmm. And when they dropped people, the fucking lead single off of Notes in a Conditional Form, that's a fucking like industrial punk song. Mm. And at that point, I really liked that they were showing like zero fucks for audience uh expectation. And they were really like I know I've seen some people say that they just steal sounds from other bands, but you it's not stealing if you're that. Brilliant at adapting to each one of them like a chameleon, everything they put their hands on, no matter what genre or artist or influence they channel, it
0: sounds like really, really well done. Um, so you at this point are are, you're 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 fairly on board when when we get to know notes of the conditional form, so
1: yeah, that that so, like, like I said, I had washed my hands after the second album. And then the third album started getting me very intrigued. Mm-hmm. And the half that I loved had me very hopeful Four notes in a conditional form. And and, and peop, so people dropped and I obviously knew that wasn't going to be what the whole album was like, but I thought it was a really cool experiment by the band. And that had me I, I, at this point, I was like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really curious for this next record. And then they put out Frail State of Mind, which I think is a gorgeous song. And that's like, that's like a trip hop dreamy synthy song. And I mean, so at this point I knew this was going to be one of the most they're probably most expansive thing yet, because a brief inquiry into online relationships was quite dynamic anyway. Then notes in a conditional form drops, and I see the insane dichotomy in the reviews. Like the 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 polarity, like you know, the fucking one out of five here, five out of five there, mm. best album of the year here, the album that's going to destroy the band's career. And 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 then I read that the fucking album is 80 minutes long. The 1975, I never in my days thought would have an album longer than a Tool album. Mm. So I approached it very hesitantly because
0: I thought... I'll be 22. honest, I, I tried with it and I just found myself skipping song after song after song until I got to track 16 if you're too shy let me know which as I said is unbelievable like that is a fucking 15 out of 10 song like that is that
1: song is fantastic but incredible there's, there's other songs on that album just as good though I think Notes in a Conditional Form is their best work and it it, it is it's fucking hefty and it's excessive because, like I said, it's twenty-two tracks and it's an hour and twenty minutes long. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the length of a film, so it, it does take some time to kind of unfold itself. Like the I the what I actually did the kind of the way I got into Kanye West's album Donda was I kind of digested half of it like a double album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of I listened to the first half of it maybe two or three times and then took on the second half and then started taking it all in full and. I think it's just a really great record. It's got I mean it maybe and I agree to some extent maybe all the experiments don't work, but I love the fact that nearly practically every song on the album is a different genre of music. Like, so this, to me Notes in a Conditional Form it's I mean it's a beautiful mess of a record because it's all over the shop. Every song is in a different experiment channeling different influences and I mean it goes from industrial punk on people to synthy dream pop on Failed State of Mind and then you've got the really like acoustic ballady kind of tracks like the Birthday Party I think is one of the best songs they've written that lyric you know I saw your friends at the Birthday Party and they were kind of fucked up before it even started I think that lyric is like that's a super relatable funny quirky lyric but at the same time that whole song is about him learning to adapt to going to parties again after coming out of rehab so there's a lot of very personal tunes on that album and yeah. I mean and it's and funny like, that you, phrase
0: you just use, "a uh, beautiful mess um, I'm almost certain um, another like music reviewer I listened to described it something similarly like you know there was some really really high points some some experiments that maybe didn't work as well but were still quite good and you know he, I think it was described in some something along those lines of a beautiful mess like you know
1: because I agree I mean there's there's probably no need for there to be two instrumental, predominantly instrumental Deep House tracks at the back end of the album. <laughs> you know?
0: no, probably not. <laughs>
1: probably not, but they're but two of my favourites. Uh, there's a Bagsy, Not Ness and a Shiny Collarbone. They're mm. both unbelievable tunes, but they really if you heard them in a club, like you're never ever, 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 ever going to know their 1975 songs. But I mean and then the fact that that that's the same album that has a song like Roadkill which is a total Fleet Foxes Pine Grove like folk indie emo track and that Roadkill again has some great lyrics you know the and and again he kind of talks about his heroin addiction in that track and uh, there's actually a lyric that I, I, I love, but I, I can't quote on here without getting bleeped, so I'm not going to bother. Just deep dive yeah. that tune. Roadkill's a great song. But I, and I, I and then like you said, if you're too shy, let me know. That's one of their biggest hits. I mean, that song sounds like Huey Lewis in the News, like I said earlier. I mean, that's that's an anthem and a half. And it's then, amazing. But what I also find, the reason I'm, I'm rambling so much about notes in a conditional form is, number one, it's my favorite album by them. And it's the first album that I ever bought on vinyl by them because one, it's eighty minutes of music, so you're getting your money's worth. Mm-hmm. And two, it it was the first time I felt I connected with their music that much on a lyrical and musical and personal level that I really wanted to own it on wax. And I revisit that album regularly. And I, when I, if I've got like shit to do, if I'm like tidying the gaff or I, I want to, I'll, I'll throw that on like to pass the time. And like, and there's so many different tracks that grab me in different ways. I mean, for all of the different like experiments I've mentioned and the different kind of genres it channels. I mean, tonight I, I wish I was your boy has like a reggae vibe to it. And then nothing revealed. Everything denied has this really weird. He's almost rapping at one point and has this vo this really weird vocal effect. And I've seen some people rag on that totally, but I really dig it. And, and then what's that track? Fucking, uh, what should I say? And he's got a very like Bonnie Ver effect on his voice. And there's some really like electro pop tunes on there. Mm-hmm. But then you also have Me and You Together song, which is a gorgeous. The, the, he, I think Matty Healy even said it in an interview, he said, with all of like the sonic experiments and the trying out all these different influences and genres and different pieces of equipment, you know, they didn't want to lose their identity as what they started out as, which was two guitars, a bass and drums. Because they, mm-hmm. they used, to, I think they were originally called. Drive like I do, or something like that, something along those lines. Okay. Before they changed their name to the 1975 and kind of got into this more 80s kind of retro pop-inspired sound they have going, and even on like the early EPs, there's very like John Carpentery synths and really kind of there's and there is cool like experimental tracks on those EPs. So I mean, it, it's not it it it's kind of in keeping with their style that they've pushed themselves each album to go a bit more out there. But songs like me and you together song bring it totally back to two guitars, a bass and a drums and show that they can still write a standard indie emo pop rock song and also me and you together song has just one of my favorite lyrics of 2020 you know um, we went to Winter Wonderland and it was shit but we were happy and I think that's just I think it's such a sweet little line about like you know having the right company to like evade anything else and like I've been to Winter Wonderland with my better half and it was shit but we were happy so I really I really was like yeah I totally fuck with what you're saying there bro and I will shut up here but the reason I've spieled so long is what I found intriguing about notes on a conditional form was for how sprawling and expansive and experimental it is and how much it is my favourite 1975 record the closing track on that album guys is a really pared back simple indie pop song written to the other members of the band about his time with them, how making music with them has completely changed the trajectory of his life, and just how emotional it makes him to be in this band with his friends. And I had a feeling that that track was also somehow a slight nod to where their next album would go. And on this new fifth full-length being funny in a foreign language, I find that for... I feel like the band have now figured out how to return to their original sound while utilizing all of the lessons from their experiments in a much more subtle, accessible fashion, if that makes any sense. Because, I mean, for starters, this is literally... And this is not in any you know creative way this is just literal factual being funny in a foreign language is literally half of the album that notes on the conditional form is that's where it was going to start yeah 22 tracks 11 tracks 80 minutes 43 and 42
0: minutes kind of yeah Yeah. um that was something that i you see i i was quite i was quite quiet there while while zach was you know while you were going on about your um your, your relationship with them, because I don't I don't have a relationship with this band. I, I like a couple of tracks here and there. I've never invested fully in them. I can't even be like, oh, yeah, I I know that song you're on about. or You know, I just I don't have that relationship with this band They're I've always assumed perhaps snobbishly that this is not the band for me. You know, I, I, I like to to not to, to think I'm not a music snob. But some bands, I suppose, just, you know, they rub me up the wrong way or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck them. I don't care. Um, so I, I was. Uh, I was apprehensive about listening to this album and giving it, you know, a full episode of the podcast, because to be honest, I care much more about the podcast than I do about the 1975. But <laughs> once once you get the Phoebe Bridger seal of approval, um, You know, like, as Zach knows, but I'm not sure if every listener knows, I am fucking obsessed with Phoebe Bridgers. She's the best thing that's like, I, I just love her. So, like I said, the only reason Can I checked out this. Yeah.
1: Uh, just to say that you mentioned earlier that one of the first things that kind of drew your attention to this new album was the fact that Phoebe Bridgers posted online that she features on. In the video. With you. And she's I'll in the video. With you, yeah. Yeah, but you do know that she is also on a song on Notes on a Conditional Form doing guest vocals.
0: No, didn't know that. Yeah,
1: that's something to go back and check out. There's a
0: brilliant... Oh, Zach, oh, Zach, my friend. Oh, Zach. It seems I have a fucking load to go back and check out because, <laughs> because this fucking album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language by the 1975, is absolutely incredible.
1: You heard it here, folks. You heard it on For The Record from Sean Tierney's
0: lips. This album is stupidly brilliant. Like, I would love to just front and like analyze all the songs and be like, you know, go through them and really in depth. But fuck that, man. This is some of the greatest. This is brilliant, perfect little pop songs and what they do brilliantly well. Is they wrapped them up in this weird sound sometimes, and you're kind of like, What is this? What key is this in? What instrument is that? But it doesn't matter because this is what ones. I'm saying.
1: Man, they've literally man. taken they've taken all of the lessons from the fucking like hour-long and 80-minute long albums with like complete genre hopping and a million different pieces of equipment for each song and completely channeling different influences, and they've taken these expansive experiments and they've gone back to songs that are... This album has songs that sound the most like Chocolate and Sex and The City, and it's the album that is the most reminiscent of those early EPs and those first two albums before they went on these mad experimental journeys. And it's like they've they've taken... I find, just that you're saying about... uh, I totally agree. You're hearing all these mad instrumentation and these little bits of weird production, but it's like they've taken the experiments, like I said, from those albums and learn to put them into their more old school indie pop songs. And it, it's like a perfect Venn diagram of everything they've done in the past and they've done recently, all kind of coalescing into like what, they sh- what they've what they always kind of aim- been aiming to be.
0: I think that what I liked about Chocolate was it's kind of, it was this weird little sounding pop song with that weird little hook of where we go, nobody know guns in, you know, it was really like, it's kind of and it didn't sound lush. It didn't sound like the biggest band in the world, but it had something. Whereas this, this sounds lush. This sounds like the biggest band in the world. This sounds like a, an indie pop band all the swagger of someone you mentioned before, like, and I, I, I'm not saying this lightly, like this has the swagger of Prince. Like there are like balls, like boulders on this fucking record. This is, this is a brilliant piece of work. There's, I think as well, they've, um, they've been working with Jack Antonoff, who has worked with Taylor Swift in terms of her production on more recent albums. And you can hear that because that same lush, expensive production is all over this record. And I think for all the cleverness, and this this is a very clever record, and it's really cleverly written, and I th- I, I can't remember who we were talking about, but we, we were talking about how they've done the trick that the Beatles do, where they make simple song or complex songs seem simple. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And the 1975, if you listen to a song like Part of the Band, it it could, I, I was like, what's going on here? I don't, I don't understand it. But at the core of it, I think it's like three chords on a guitar. If you were to play it just on the acoustic guitar, it's about three chords, but it's got these stabs of strings, it's got piano flourishes, a brass section, this weird production. Uh, it's, it's stunning. I am, I'm genuinely blown away. By, by this record and I feel like I need to really go back and listen to all their albums because this is they're just they've constructed some of the most perfect propulsive catchy idiosyncratic pop songs to just this gloriously high level like happiness and somebody to are looking for somebody to love unbelievable happiness and the thing is like It took me, I
1: think, the third or fourth listen to Happiness, which is one of the big singles from the record, to realize, because like we said earlier, like you just said a minute ago, sorry, I mean, Happiness is such a fun, bop Mm. your head, yeah, this is a lovely, nice, happy pop song, but when you really listen to the fucking guitar and bass work on that, it's like fucking math rock man. The two boys are going a mile a minute up and down the fucking fretboard. They're actually mangling the shit, but it's so subtle. It's all the pops and the slaps of the bass and like it it's so many like it's crazy performance, but it's all hidden in this it, within the rhythm of this lovely pop song. They never, it never becomes like masturbatory. It's super technical and, impre- and impressive, mm. but all in service of the tune. And then you mentioned um, part of the band. That's one of the best songs they've ever written. Man, that's, that song- is,
0: that's one of the best songs of this year by a mile. Yeah. And before you say it, because I feel like you might, the lyric on this song, I like my men like I like my coffee, <laughs> full of soy milk. It's so sweet, it won't offend anyone, it is unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable Outstanding. stuff. Outstanding. I doff my cap to you, Matt Healy. That's incredible. Like He's a
1: great, that's what I'm saying, man. He's a great lyricist. I mean, like a, there's, I think I realized that I really liked his lyrics on a song you that you said didn't even click with you. Uh, Give yourself a try. Yeah. Off of a brief inquiry into online relationships. You know, the, you know, what would you say to your younger self? Uh, growing a beard's quite hard and whiskey never starts to taste nice. Hmm. Like though, he, he's a very whimsical witty motherfucker, and he's talented, man. Like I mean, if you separate the art from the artist and the personality from the,
0: the thing is though, like I'm I'm glad you're saying that you're intrigued to go back now because super intrigued, man. I am I'm very very interested to go back and revisit this band
1: because you know I'm not. I I love this new record, but I'm not like shocked like you are because right, I okay. have known. I have known, for even though I've had my mixed emotions with the band and with each release, I have always known, even since the EPs and that first album, that number one, he's an ace lyricist, and number mm. two, they're really great songwriters. And even if I don't like everything they've done, and, and, and it's been a rocky road to... It was like, I really liked them, and then I kind of completely fucking disconnected, and then I've slowly fallen back in love with each record. And I really feel like on this album, it just... This to me is like them, like I said, now that they've kind of come out the other end of like the really self-indulgent long albums and sonic experiments, this album seems like a real return to, let's write an an 11-track, three-quarter of an hour indie pop record using all of like our tools, all of our lessons learned, all of the kind of the shit we needed to get out of our system, those experiments. And now let's channel and tweak things and just let's write the best batch of pop songs we can again. And it's fucking...
0: That's what it is. It's pop songs. But man, the focus on this album, you can hear it. You can hear them being like, right, no mistakes. This album is, this is perfect. You know, we're trying to craft perfection here. And like, I don't think that you put, you know, the time and effort into something that could be as throwaway as looking for somebody to love and make it what it is on this record without real focus and real intent. Because it's something like, like Oh Caroline is a fantastic pop banger, but it feels more, it feels like more, if that makes sense. You know, 100%. It, it like if you boil it down, it's just a pop pop song. You know, like I think it actually, it, it recalls some of, you know, like something like Carly Ray Jepsen, do you know that more credible, in Incredible quotation marks, pop. pop music, you know, but it, it, they they add this kind of weight to it and this kind of reverence or credence, the word that you use a good bit, you know, it's, they elevate it a little bit more. And I think yeah. something like, Oh, Caroline, which could be so throwaway, is, is not like, you know, um, and then like the song that got me here is I'm in love with you. And I just... I can't stop playing this song, man. I can't stop playing it. It's so simple. It's uh, like the choruses. I'm in love with you. I, I, I. I. That's it. That's it. it. it is. But it, oh, man, it
1: stays it, in your cerebellum. Dancing. Oh my
0: god, it's in, it's incredible. And then it's um, you know, the lyrics are very self aware as well. You muppet, don't fuck it. Like you know, as in, like it's just a song. Let's bring it back. Let's not overthink it. You know, and it's I love that man. I I I just I I I, and then like something like All I Need to Hear is so fragile and beautiful. It's just this fabulous country kind of balladeering and balance is something that they are fucking great at. They're great, and that's what I love. I love the fact
1: that they can write absolute stomper tunes, they can write really strange experimental pop tunes, and then they can write full on ballads that'd make like the fucking all-time greats
0: want to eat their hearts out like absolutely and the thi- do you know it's funny man just when you reference the all-time greats something that the all-time great bands do is they stick fairly rigidly to like four card progressions and it's usually the same four cards at a different pace and a different tempo like that's what songwriting is but they can just create these wonderful melodies and beautiful arrangements around it but like all i need to hear sticks rigidly throughout its duration to a fairly standard chord progression but it's so it shows how effective really great songwriters are at using simplicity as a weapon what a fucking song this is i love the line as well you know i i don't care if you're insincere just tell me what i want to hear you know and it's just like
1: i love ah. the line i love the line where he says i get my records out when you go away yeah (laughs) that's the most related as soon as the missus is out the door i'm like looking for the records to put on to pass the time and and that i can't listen to when she's home but But it's
0: also like it's a bit it's almost like that line in high fidelity you know where he's on where he's talking about now i know how to make a record for you so it's like i know you don't want to listen to this record so i'll wait till you're gone and then i listen to it you know rather than forcing you to listen to it you know and it's yeah,
1: I also think uh, I totally agree with you. By the way, about the fact that, like I said, songs like "Happiness" are so musically intricate. But then songs like "Be My Mistake" off of *A Brief Inquiry Into Online Relationships* and "All I Need to Hear" really just boil it. To, it not everything needs to be suited. It they know when to go fucking overdrive and yep. when to pay it back. And and that's why I think I I love it ties in what you're saying there a minute ago it ties into the. One of one of my favorite songs in the album, probably my favorite track on the album, actually, "Wintering." <sighs> ah, "Wintering" is ah, just stellar. "Wintering" is a,
0: so I great. have
1: rinsed. It, I've listened to that song about thirty fucking times it's this week. So great, and, man. You know, she was. A, she walks down the stairs with a face on, like she's just won a court case. Yeah, he's got a weird way of uh, right using the same four chords Bro, for, every for every song, song he makes. Make. Yeah, yeah. And and everything about that, and like, because w- w- what I interpret that song is is like him coming home for Christmas. You know, I get home on the twenty third. I'm driving up twenty third, and like you know, just before Christmas Eve and wintering, winter time, and he talks about like you know, a, a, like I, I'm assuming it's like ending tour and coming home for Christmas. And you know, there's even that line mm. about um, you know, I'm just here for the stuff and don't want any fussing. I don't you know, like doesn't want any arguments, doesn't want any family bickering, but I love the line where and I'm not sure if like he's using personal people or if he's kind of skewing English life and stuff. Yeah. and, and but, but you know and he's like uh, met your one in the co-op. And she says, how's everybody doing? He says, I said, Olivia, uh, Alex, Alex is, is a, a sculptor. sculptor <laughs> and Olivia's been a vegan since It's It just sounds like such a, it sounds like a conversation you'd hear at yeah. a shop. Oh, Alex is a sculptor and Olivia's been and a vegan. And then he says,
0: uh, I'll be giving my chair to my mum because her back hurts. And then now mum's not a fan of that line about her back because it makes her sound frumpy and old. And I said, woman, you're what, 64, you years old. <laughs> 64
1: years old. That's the so, best fucking life. It's brilliant, man. It's so and he, brilliant. And then, just, and then when it comes back to that, you know, I'll be home on the 23rd i'm driving up on the 23rd that really gets i get t- i don't know what it is sometimes go i always say lyrics to hit me in different ways there's mm. there's something about just that i'll be home on the 23rd i'm driving up on the 23rd it's like we've all that's it's like it's something so communal we've always said we've all said that to someone about a day yeah and, yeah. and it's very close to christmas we're always family are always like when are we when are you going to be home when are we going to be home yeah 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 I just think uh, there's some, and also, and and I'm a, I'm a big sucker, big, big, big fucking mother sucker for when, you know, an album, when you, when you hear an outtake or or from the process of making the album just snippet it in and the way Wintering starts with a genuine audio of Maddie Healy being like no no it should really just punch in it should just be like yeah. one
0: two and then the song just kicks in <laughs> yeah. full fucking production and it's great. like
1: oh love it fucking love it Wintering yeah. is it's gorgeous it's a beautiful yeah. song I and on I release it. day
0: on release day it was the song that Phoebe Bridger shared to her Instagram story so she's obviously on your, on your buzz that it's her favourite as well um, you need to check
1: out um I always get the name arse backwards because it's a mouthful. It's either Jesus Christ 2005 God mm. Bless America or it's God Bless America 2005 Jesus
0: Christ. It's I think I just saw it. I think it's Jesus Christ 2005 first, I think. Yeah, God
1: think. Bless America. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's the acoustic tune that Phoebe Bridgers does guest vocals on.
0: Awesome. And well, I will, she- be, I will be listening to it because I am going to go through this band because like it was it was gas. After I was going, you know, like as most of you, Listening, no, we usually like kind of do track by track or whatever. And when I got to, <laughs> when I got to wintering, I just like, uh, I wrote unreal again. And then I just wrote in block capitals. This whole album is fucking amazing. <laughs> and I just uh, like, it. I love like human too is really, really soft. Um, It's got these lovely little bonny verisms on him. Um, the only song that I'm not super jazzed about is about you. I think it's just a little bit. Blast. Ish. Nah, I totally disagree. I actually, you, you see, I'm hoping that it's gonna like, it's gonna click with me massively, you know, because it's just it's just the only one so far in the, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 40 listens I've given this album that hasn't like, you know, smashed me in the face.
1: I actually totally disagree because I'm finding that the album, I've like, I mean, okay, one thing, the opening track, which is called the 1975. Mm-hmm. That's a motif on every one of their albums. Mm-hmm. The opening track is always called the 1975.
0: 1975 yeah, I, I noticed that.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the time it's just like an intro or an instrumental or something. This, I think, A Brief Inquiry has a bit more like vocals in it. But this is the first album I think where it's genuinely its own full song, and it's got that weird jittering piano. And I think it's lovely. It's really like it's 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 strange. It's, it's really brilliant. Like, yeah, it's unsettlingly strange but it's it's just keeping this weird rhythm going on and I think that I think that line about you know I'm sorry if you're living, living and you're in your 17
0: it shows a real kind of genuine empathy for his fan base.
1: Yeah, like yeah, how
0: definitely. tough it is to be a young person in the online 2022 world I think. And I think it's um I I what is it I've heard it's in vogue to be super thin but your friends aren't thick so they can't come in. You know, it's like uh, I'm feeling apathetic after scrolling through hell, and I think I got a boner, but I can't really tell. Can't
1: really tell, yeah.
0: You know, and but then it's like you know, it's cynical. This Adderall and vitriol, and young people drinking Aperol. But um, like he and he he goes on, and he's, you know, uh, I'm sorry about my twenties. I was learning the ropes. You know, I had a tendency to see, think about it after I spoke. You know, so he's a bit self reflective. You know, and but I do think that the the sorry if you're living in your seventeen is a really genuine sentiment where he's kind of like shit is tough out there for young people so I'm sorry if you're living and you're 17.
1: Yeah, and, and that's and that's exactly it. It's like him, because he's, he's well aware, I mean, number one, of how, how rough it feels when you are 17 and then he's also aware that, you know, like I definitely am happier that I was 17 when I was 17 than if I was 17 now. Same. And yeah, and I think Matty Heady feels the same way. And he's very aware that a lot of teenagers connect with his music. So I think that's a very it's a brave thing to put on your opening track. And then, I mean, it goes from that into happiness, like we said, which mm-hmm. to me has math rock fucking noodling hidden behind
0: it. Hidden pop behind song. it, yeah, yeah.
1: And then looking for somebody to love, absolute banger, mm-hmm. part of the band. Part of the band, to me, it evokes like Vampire Weekend at their most orchestral, but transcends that.
0: I can hear that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Especially in the beginning, the, you know, she was part of the Air Force. I was part, part of, the of the band. band that's yeah. very Ezra Koenig, That's very Vampire Weekend lyrically. And, mm. and just even the melody and the of the strings. I think because Vampire Weekend experimented with so much strings in their early material, it really just brings Vampire Weekend to mind for me. And then, like you said, Oh, Caroline should not be as effective as it is <laughs> it really shouldn't it, it is just a simple oh caroline but even like the fucking the slap off the notes is like it was something that was pulled directly from the essence of the 80s like yeah. the crispness and the fucking bounce off the strings it's gorgeous and then and like we we, we kind of fawned over uh i'm in love with you already well and- i did anyway because i just fucking
0: did. can't believe how good that song is
1: and all I need to hear the lovely ballads Beautiful. those things down. But I personally think that the reason I kind of recapped the, that first two thirds of the record is I'm of the opinion, like I when I had gotten to Wintering, I remember thinking like this is the peak of the album, mm-hmm. this is it, like this album. But after Wintering, like you mentioned, Human Two, Human Two is a fucking gorgeous show. Oh, it's amazing, so mm-hmm. amazing. And just, and just that, and it's a sentiment that's been done over and over again in songs, but it's never, it never wears on me, you know, just that, like, you know, don't you know I'm human too, and don't you know you're human too, and like, we're flawed and we fuck up. I and like the, really...
0: I thought I'd done anger, I thought I'd done shame, but I've always been the same. You know, I th- I think that I, and I could really, you know, I could, I could relate to that, like, it was a great, great song.
1: And then... After, I was so curious after Human too because I knew there was eleven tracks. There was two more to go. Where these last two would go? And you mentioned that about, about you, you mm. is I I love about you. About you really reminds me of like about you seems very subtly indebted to like British dream pop and shoegaze. Like you know, I got slow slow dive ride almost like breathless kind of vibes from it. Mm. it 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 really do it's really hazy and it's slow and it's despondent it, it really sounds like it's channeling a lot of that british kind of ambienty touch and shoegaze dream pop of that air of the like early 90s kind of
0: listen i i i'm i'm certain that at some point i'm going to think that um about you is amazing because i think that maybe i was just in such a sugar rush from the rest yeah. of the record that it's such it's kind of a kind of reflective kind of moodish piece you know and it doesn't have as many like it doesn't have as many natural touchstones for 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 me as something like Human 2 because Human 2 has very very clear Bon Iver isms on it and oh, yeah. I, I'm a huge Bon Iver fan so that you know it it was easy for me to grab onto in the context of the record so I think just about you it's just passed me by a little bit for the moment but like I mean uh, do you want to hear my 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 notes for When We Are Together the final song of the album Go this on. could have easily appeared on Punisher and you know how I feel about that album <laughs> this song is fucking incredible
1: yeah when we are together really um... yeah yeah, it really like 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 yeah. I said, guys, the closing track off of notes mm. that I can perform lovely, really sentimental track dedicated to his bandmates. Mm. And this song, like, I mean, this album, I don't know. I mean, you know, I ain't writing in any biography about him, so I don't really know if Maddy Healy like is in a relationship. I'm pretty I'm if I'm if I'm speaking completely out of my hole. I'm pretty sure he's in a long-term relationship that he's been in for quite a few years. I don't think he's married, but I do think he's been with the same partner for like a long time since the band kind of got big with the first album. Could
0: I think totally that this time. was that that song. It was um, it was based on the breakdown of a relationship.
1: Yeah, but I'm but I'm saying that every track up until this whole album seems indebted to a person. It seems very much.
0: He's actually, he said himself, it's actually um, several people. It spans, uh, he said, it spans a lot of relationships. And if you're in a relationship oh. with a creative creative person, there is always a dynamic there because was he in? A, he was in a relationship with uh, FKA Twigs, I think.
1: Oh, I didn't know that at so all. I, I, I don't something. know.
0: I, this is only just, I saw it in the research. That was all. So he did say, I, I think it might have been to um, our good buddies, Pitchfork. I think he said that it was... Like it's spent a lot of relationships. It wasn't dedicated to one person in particular, I think.
1: Okay, so uh, then I'm wrong. He he the, the boy gets around, so he hasn't been in long-term relationship. I remember he was in a relationship when they were doing a lot of press for the self-title album, so that must have fallen apart and he got famous and been writing around him. More power to him. But I
0: allegedly, I, I don't know if allegedly. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah, so, so whether this album is about one person or about several people, which you said now it's it, it is about several people. Yeah, this album. Even more so, like, I mean, like, they're a pop band, an experimental pop band, but a pop band. And okay. they've like, and they, and a lot of their stuff is about relationships. But this album seems so, like, solely focused on love and relationships and the nuances and the in-betweens of a, of a partnership between two people and the love and the pining and the longing and the sentimentality and the, the humour and the it like, and I mean, Wintering might be an outlier on the album, but in terms of like, it's a bit more about coming home and fucking kind of being a bit more anecdotal. There's a like, real sense of
0: nostalgia with Wintering as well. Yeah. You know, it's the pure rose tinted glasses. Almost, it's ah, be- oh, it's fucking beautiful. Yeah,
1: I don't know what it does. To me. The album in general makes me really emotional.
0: Like, oh, it, absolutely, it really
1: man, fucking hits me in my core. And I didn't,
0: you know, I was, like- I was listening to this on the way down from from the gig um, today, and like, like my girlfriend is in is in the car at me, like, and all I need to hear is "on," and I'm just like, "Fuck me!" Am I gonna start crying here? Like, driving down the road, like, you know, it's just like it's. It's really you know, powerful. What,
1: what fucks me up too though is the fact that like I'm 30 on the tube in London heading to work and I'm listening to this album getting like getting the the tingles and getting mm. like who and getting like introspective and mm. you know. I'm, like imagine being a fucking teenager listening to this. Remember the music that fucked us up as teenagers. Imagine, imagine being seventeen and hearing that thing. You know, I'm sorry if you're living and you're seventeen. There's probably teenagers like getting their brains. thank you, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like th- if this album is fucking me up, like I can only imagine what it's doing to teenagers yeah. who haven't learned how to process their emotions yet. I just and are, uh, and are really overly sensitive to art at that age. Uh,
0: you know, you know the way when you when you guess into a band that maybe you haven't got into, uh, you know, yet, you know? And you think this is their best album, like, I don't know. But like, I think this is like, I wouldn't go like, it's not a fucking masterpiece. This isn't as good as like something like Thriller or Bad, like, you know, one of the great pop albums, but it is a great pop album. Like a stellar pop album in a year that has produced some fucking amazing pop records. Um, this is better than the Taylor Swift record. Um, it's better than the Rena Saraoyama record. The only other like pop record I'm not sure if it's better than is the Lizzo album, but that album is just like fucking smoking crack cocaine while on mushrooms in a cartoon it's just like the funnest album you know this definitely has probably more substance that to, to, than the lizzo record but the lizzo record is just a but sugar is, rush Lizzo
1: is very like yeah but lizzo like in the 1975 you know they, they are like they're as vaguely connected by the pop term as can be
0: really oh be absolutely honest. i'm just saying in terms of big pop releases this year this is about as good as 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 anything i've heard um uh it's just there there's a real fun to the Lizzo record. It's hard to like it's a total sugar rush like purple pink album. It's fucking brilliant.
1: I I, I it's funny because you're like you're you're naming all these pop records and I just I just don't go in for pop music. That's mm. the thing. And it's like I, I have no like it's just not for me. You like yeah. I heard the our tunes, I love I heard the Lizzo this a few of the Lizzo singles and Taylor Swift Am I Ready do? do.
0: so good
1: but the 1975 are my kind of pop.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I know it's, what you mean.
1: It's, yeah, it's intelligent pop. It's it's indie pop if you will. It's pop and alternative music meeting in the middle.
0: Yeah, I I think that's probably where where we diverge greatly on our our pop intake where I I like the bubblegum pop and I like mainstream pop as well as like in you know, the more credible side of pop or whatever. And I think you don't go for the, you know, the big, you know, bubblegum pop type artists.
1: The poppiest, the poppiest, the poppiest, the I guess, would be like hyper pop. Like mm. I love Charlie X. yeah. And I love, I love 100 X And unbelievably, and I, like
0: to... I just can't understand how anyone could love that. But anyway, again, I feel like that's a conversation for another time.
1: Oh, man, I've, uh, speaking of, you know, I put my records on when you're away, 100 Gex is one of the records in my collection that I am not allowed to listen to when my missus is here. <laughs> yeah. she, she does the same thing. She turns around to me and she's like, why would anyone want to listen to this? Uh, why would I, anyone pay for this on vinyl? Yeah, I don't get it. I love it. I love it. It's, mm. it's all about maximalization. It's the same way I love, like, a fucking... I love, like, sla- slasher kind of movies, the modern slashers that are totally... Like homages to old eighty schlock, and they're devoid of plot, and it's just men.
0: <laughs> like, devoid of plot. That's yeah. a good way to describe a, a gecks actually. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's you know, there's like, what is it meant to be? It's meant to be the most annoying parts of the most annoying parts of electronic music meets pop punk. And, you know, and the songs are only two minutes. The album's only 23 minutes. It's get in, get out and fucking hit you over the head with Donks and Gabba and fucking Emo and then then leave. And like, what did I just fucking... I
0: love how you think you're selling this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not. This is like this is me just championing what I love, <laughs> regardless. I will shout it from the mountaintops. People will be like, arrest, like section that man. He's preaching the word of 100x, and I will. I will do it until I'm grey and old. But yeah, Charlie Xx is probably as far as pop as I go. Yeah. Like, and funnily enough, roundabout the drummer. From the 1975 who is their producer.
0: George Daniel is his name.
1: George Daniel. Thank you very much. I was about to call him Daniel George and I was like <laughs> I don't, I know Daniel's in there but I'm not sure if it's his first name.
0: George Daniel, yeah.
1: He produced the last Charlie XCX album and I'm pretty sure they're in a relationship at the moment.
0: Oh, interesting. We get, we've gotten very um, kind of you know gossip meg on this episode is he in a relationship or it's unusual it's the first for us i think It's because um, we're talking about a fucking pop album we
1: we we, true. we if we very quickly just gravitate toward that don't we it'd be true. such an easy podcast to just talk about who's fucking who man
0: it would um but overall man uh, like i think this album is incredible i think in a landscape of brilliant pop music and there, like i've mentioned there has been some brilliant pop music this year i think this stands out you know, I just can't believe I feel so strongly about a 1975 album after considering that they were a band I would have gladly, albeit ignorantly, said I hate it up until now. I think that Jack Antonoff's production is fantastic, um, despite the fact it's a fairly typical pop production. It's not going to, it's not, not revolutionising pop production at all. I just like it a lot, like a lot, a lot. It's it's just some crack like from the voice. I just love it. Uh, it's it. I love it's a, a a really nice mix of brilliantly played organic instruments and also electronics. And annoyingly, Matty Healy is the magnetic, charismatic focal center point of it all. I I, I think they they just hide this wonderful simple Americana in the style of Bruce Springsteen or Tom Petty under this modern sound this is fucking phenomenal
1: and you know what i'm really i'm delighted you've clicked on it so much because i i actually had just lost track that this album was due i'd I'd heard part of the band and it had blown me the fuck away but i hadn't i just completely forgotten this album was on the way and it was you who actually you pitched this to me dear listener tyranny <laughs> came to me with this and say <laughs> yeah you, you were like do you want to do the 1975 album and the last time I like you and me have briefly spoken about the 1975 I think that the only time we ever talked about the 1975 was when I was repping Enter Shikari's last album nothing is true everything oh yeah nothing, nothing is true and everything is possible, it's possible
0: yeah. In 2020
1: yeah. and you said oh it's great except for that one track that just sounds like the 1975 <laughs> which I'm assuming was the pressures on <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I did say that. I can be such yeah. a dickhead sometimes.
1: <laughs> and I just so I remember being like, "Oh, okay, tyranny does not like the nineteen seventy-five, and he does not like Ed Shikari writing a song that is reminiscent of the 1975. But I, <laughs> oh, I genuinely like just thought like, "Yeah, tyranny," and like I said earlier, you know, mo- a lot of people I know fucking hate them and wash their hands of them and have never listened to them and snobbed them, and that was the thing. Even that was me. When, that was you. That was, was me, normal, man. Right? When I got. Before I got notes in a conditional form on vinyl, we were in a myself and Norma were like in a park on a Friday evening and summertime Friday evening after work, having a few cans, a few crisps, and I threw the album on, and Norma like looks at me halfway through and goes, And Norma fucking hated the 1975, like <laughs> allergic to them. And she turned to me and was like, Who's Who's this? This is really, really good. This is a really good record. I'm like, this is the 1975. She was like, What? Yeah. And then I bought it on vinyl, and every time I put it on, she'll still say it to me today. She'd be like, That album is so good. And I came, it came, it took like that's the thing. I saw them live four times on the first album cycle, all for free. And you know, and it was really fun. And and it's and it's cool now because they've become one of the biggest bands in the world that I saw them on that rise. And then the second album did not, and for me, third album really started warming me back up to them and then the fourth record i just went all in on i i get why people hated it i get why people think it's overindulgent and overlong and bragged on it so much but i really just clicked with notes on a conditional form like i said it's the first album i loved by them enough to buy on vinyl so i have been very intrigued to hear what they would
0: i will i will be buying this on vinyl Oh, I think I was almost too. certainly like this when is you, so when good. When you
1: came to me and said to me like, "Oh, you want to do this?" I was like, "Oh yeah," did the, the new 1975 records out? And then I, I, kind of almost forgot and thought, "Oh fuck, yeah!" "Notes in a Conditional Form" was unbelievable. I, I'm way more hyped for this than I remember being. <laughs> yeah. but you had already listened to it at this point, and you kind of said to, me, and then I was a bit apprehensive. I was like, "Is terny asking me to do this so he can kick it in the fucking head?" <laughs> and then, because you know, uh, it's kind of why which, I want. Which to... is
0: possible, like. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. That's part of the fun of this podcast. Yeah. But you actually, you said to me, you were like, disclaimer: I think it's brilliant. And then I knew, fuck! I gotta listen to this. Like, I gotta drop what I'm doing and listen to it right now if yeah. thinks it's brilliant. And yeah. it is. It's fucking brilliant. It's, it's like I said. I've kind of said everything I need to say. 20 times already but it really to me sounds like they took the exper- le- lessons learned from their sonic experiments in the last couple of records and they've gone back to a more straightforward short I think it's their shortest album I actually think I'm nearly certain it's their shortest record yet because uh, each other album is about just under just over an hour except okay. for the last one which was an hour and 20 minutes this is their shortest album it's less than three quarters of an hour 11 tracks it's literally like I said half the length of their last album half the tracks and it just feels like they thought, right? We've gotten all that out of our system. We wanted to write a song. Like this. We wanted to put two deep house tracks on the album. We wanted to have a reggae. Tune. We wanted to do all this. Now let's just let's write another. Let's go back. Let's take all those lessons and all those like tweaks we know, and let's just write a pop album again. And it really, like I said, it's like a co- the coalescing of everything they've done experimentally and standard, and just kind of it sounds like. At this point, the 1975, like for people who are kind of saying, oh, you know, they're trying to be this band, they're stealing in this style, they're doing this, they're writing a song like that. All of that experimentation has resulted in being funny in a foreign language, really, truly just feeling definitively like the
0: 1975. Yeah. Yeah. You do know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And not only definitively like the 1975 but like it's like definitively like of like this is one of the albums of the 2020s you know what I mean as in this this to me could go down as something you know the people hold up for years and because it has that timeless sound as well as sounding modern yeah it's just it's 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 fucking great and like if if anyone out there is like me and was a fucking moron and was a snob and just thought that they were shit and Matty Healy was a wanker and no one needs to listen to them. They're big anyway. Blah, blah, blah. They're only 16-year-old girls like their music. All of that may still be true. But yeah. this album <laughs> this album is fucking outrageous. I can't recommend it enough. I really, really can't. It's so, so good.
1: Yeah, I I I, I totally agree. 1975, the 1975 being funny in a foreign language, it it's a cracking record. It's 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 a really subtly shockingly surprisingly
0: cracking record absolutely so there you have it this is oh this actually might be like one of my surprises of the year as well like as in did not expect to fully like you know the heart eyes emoji that's me about this album like i I did not expect it really really great oh yeah
1: i i totally agree i feel like it's it's definitely leapfrogged about 20 albums to to get into near my top 20 like out of nowhere like
0: yep uh but more on that in a few weeks because we're getting yeah, to that you... time of year. Um so yeah, I I can't remember what we've planned for for next week. So we'll just sign off and we'll discuss it off air. <laughs> a little peek yeah. behind the curtain. Uh yeah, so... I
1: think I think we we'll look because I'm going to Amsterdam anyway this weekend. So I think by the time I get back and we'll kind of see we'll kind of see what the music world has thrown our way then.
0: Yes, we shall. Yeah. But in the meantime, just throw yourself at the 1975's record because it's great. And um, yeah, my name is Sean Tierney. Thanks a million for listening. As always, please check us out on Facebook and Instagram and all that carry on for the record pod. We really appreciate it. Any feedback, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Music is the best.
1: I'm buggy. Bye.